Greetings, everybody. It's Ken Navarro. Welcome to my podcast. As some of you may know, I'm doing a special series of podcast episodes to celebrate the release of my brand new album for 2018, Music for Guitar and Orchestra. Now, for this new album, I selected what I felt were my eight very best compositions, also some of my most popular and, I think, well-loved compositions, and I orchestrated them for a symphony orchestra and my guitar, and I came up with what I believe is a groundbreaking record and a very special set of my music. For these podcasts, I'm bringing in people who were involved in the recording, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes the actual players, talking about the music, letting you hear some of the music. But today, for the very first of these podcast episodes, I wanted to share the entire album with you, preview it, while my good friend and my special guest today, keyboardist and composer Jay Rowe, listens to the album with me and we just react to it as it plays. Now let me tell you something about Jay. Jay is a wonderful composer and keyboardist, a recording artist in his own right, but we first met almost 23 years ago, I believe it was 1995, in New York City. We were both playing a concert at the World Trade Center. Jay was playing with Marion Meadows and I was leading my own band. We became quick friends and eventually I asked him to join my band and we ended up touring all over the country together for many years and Jay played on many, many of my albums. And so he knows some of this music because the original recordings had him playing on them. The other thing I want you to know about Jay is that he has six CDs of his own. The latest one is called Smooth Ride. He's also hosted for 16 years Smooth Jazz for Scholars, which is a benefit concert which features the best artists in smooth jazz coming to his hometown of Milford, Connecticut and putting on two nights of sold-out concerts. And all of the proceeds from the concerts go to the music programs in the schools of Milford, Connecticut. So here he is, my good friend, Jay Rowe. Jay, welcome to my podcast. I'm really glad to have you here with me uh, to do this this morning and to listen to the record all the way through and just get your reactions. And and uh, I, I, as I have mentioned to you when we've talked on the phone, yeah, I can't think of anybody I'd rather do this with. Well, thanks so much, Ken. And and you know, like I like I said, I'm honored to do this podcast. Um, I mean, this is such a stunning, you know, new CD. Um, it's, I think it's, it's a, it's a milestone in your catalog for sure. And, um, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. I mean, and, and, and I first heard it and probably, uh, you know, what I, what I thought was a great setting on a long drive up to Cape Cod. So I had the, oh, yeah, yeah. the scenery of the beautiful New England coast and all that, you know, all the imagery that comes with that, with the wonderful imagery of, of, of your music and incredible orchestral arrangements. I mean, and it's, and it's, and it's one of those, you know, CDs, records, whatever you want to call them these days, where upon multiple listening, um, the listener is going to hear so many different things and, 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 and it's almost, you know, like a new experience every time, every time you hear it. So, yeah, that's what I'm always hoping to do. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Well, that's what I'm always hoping to do. And, and like you, you know, I like hearing music in the car. There's something about motion while you're listening that, 
I don't know, it's very satisfying. And I always check out how, especially as I get near the end of a project, how it sounds and how it feels in the car, you know? So I'm glad, I'm glad that was your first experience. And, and, and it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's an important one. Well, let's just jump right into the music. Okay. And uh, we'll just start listening. Great. So, you know, I thought I would start this album off with one of the songs that people really know me from, Smooth Sensation. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a challenge because it's a song people have heard many times, I, I think. And um, I wanted to do it justice and, you know, make sure it, it had the same elements that, that made it a, a good song in the first place and just somehow, you know, uh, opened it up and expanded it um, and the other challenge for me was figuring out if and if so how I could use a, a contemporary jazz rhythm section incorporated into the orchestra so as you can hear here it's just the, the orchestra and me yes yeah and that that's an amazing intro uh, um, you know the movement of with the strings and everything you know, it's it's and, and the woodwinds on top of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it kicks in. It's interesting with the woodwinds because I, I treated them throughout the album very much like they were soloists. Uh, you know, there's only there's one bassoon, one clarinet, one flute, and one oboe. And um, you know, they're, they're, many orchestras will have two and sometimes three of some of those instruments. So I had to have players who were like, not only really good, like everybody in the orchestra had to be really good, but really good soloists. And um, I was really lucky to have four distinct players who were all fantastic soloists. So when they were given the ball to run with it, they, they knew what to do. <laughs> well, yeah, and... and um... You know, I noticed that there's a lot of, um, you know, linear interaction um, mm -hmm. where you're, where, and, and that's particularly, you know, striking in, in, in pretty much every, in every song, you know, like when, when you really hear the flute stand out or you hear the oboe stand out or, or you know, right. the clarinet or something. Um, now this section here, I just, I just want to... I'm actually using the strings like to play a reggae groove, and then another part of the strings on the clarinet to play like a Funkleberry rhythm guitar part. <laughs> That's pretty wild. I mean, now here's that that beautiful flute line. That triplet figure is wonderful. I mean, it's funny because like I'm thinking, oh my god, like like I remember you know trying to come up with parts I came up with you know when we were doing the original record, and this is like it's. I don't, I don't want to overgeneralize, but it's but it's it's kind of wall-to-wall -wall beautiful lines that are really substantial. Yeah, and as you know, that's what this kind of writing is about. You know, in, in, in a typical jazz group, um, whether it's smooth jazz or straight-ahead jazz or fusion jazz, you know, and you know about this because as the keyboardist, you're the one chiefly responsible for playing what we would call chords, you know, or harmony. 
But yep. in the context of this sort of writing, no one's playing chords per se. The harp does sometimes, and the guitar can sometimes. But um, it's much more about great line writing. And, and in fact, this section coming up is a, a brass quintet that's all about the lines. And preceded by the strings. So it's right, like, right. that's a nice shift in texture. I mean, you know, it's a showcase for like, you know, for a medium string orchestra followed by a showcase for the brass section. Right, right, exactly. And I felt like I needed to, I needed to give it some breathing room before it came back into this section with the rhythm section comes back in and, and, uh, and that main theme. And this is, uh, I don't know, you know, the only word, the only word I can use to describe these, you know, the, the you know, as we're approaching the end of the tune is majestic. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks. I well, it always had that. This section, anyway, always had that feeling to me. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting because whenever you and I played it live, of course, you were the one playing this main theme on on a combination of different keyboards, while I played like I'm playing here, you know, so yep. soloing around it. Um, so here I use the French horns primarily to carry that theme, but then the the trumpets are picking it up sometimes. It's it's um, it's a bunch of different lines that all come together for this climax. Yeah, this is this is this is wonderful. Boy, the guitar sounds really great on this record, Ken. So it was an interesting challenge, not so much the playing. But, you know, figuring out how to make it sound like it was in the room with the orchestra and not just like on top of it, you know. But uh, thanks. I'm glad you think so. Oh, here's Wichita Lineman. Yeah. And this is, oh, man. This is the only non-original composition, but I just love this song so much. I know you do, too. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. And it's just, I don't know, you know, again, I felt like it was a challenge because, I, I mean, there have been a lot of versions of this song. I don't think I've ever heard one quite like this, but I just felt like I had a responsibility to do something not only that was very good, but special somehow. So I just, just tried to pour my heart and soul into it. And I, as I, every thing I wrote here, I was always thinking about the lyrics to the song, which I think are also so amazing. Um, yeah, and, 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 you know, I think, um, you know, the imagery of it, you know, the beginning of this, it's, it's you know, Aaron, Aaron Copeland, I think, would write, would write things, you know, kind of depicting the American West, you know. Right, specific images he, he and was that, trying to and that, that is certainly captured here. Um, Interesting. I've certainly listened to a lot of Aaron Copeland, obviously not consciously going for that, but, but it's, you know, everything we listen to, it comes back. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, 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 and I mean, to, for you to have, to have finally made a record, you know, like this, in this in this format, it really is a culmination of, of of a lifetime of listening to a lot of different stuff. Yeah, and trying to find a way to put them together, you know. It's, yeah. Now this section is like a, a breakdown, which is the harp and me and the cello. Now, how many cellos are playing that? 
Um, right there, uh, eight. Oh my God. So, and we, one of the cellists, Marianne Perkel, was actually one of the contractors for the strings, the, the main contractor for the strings. So, while she wasn't the concert master, she had a lot to do with, with assembling such a, not only a great group of string players, but incredibly capable of going in whatever direction stylistically I needed them to go in. another place where the woodwinds are really shining. Oh, that's something. And Eric Marienthal's on this, too. It's all written parts, but he plays them like Eric Marienthal, you know? Oh, yeah, you can tell it's him. Yeah, you really can. This chord just last and last. But that's beautiful. Boy, that's like, you know, and, and, and to have the brass kind of get a little softer and then, you know, release at just the right time. Now, this is wild. Yep, this is Lucky. And um, it's the another one that Eric Marienthal plays, this time soprano sax. This was, yeah, and, and when this part comes up, <laughs> I have a lot to say. I have... I have a little bit, maybe a lot to say about what he played. I mean, oh, God. I won't give it away yet for anybody who's going to listen to this podcast. This is probably the most quote-unquote classical-sounding piece on the album, um, which is interesting, you know, because when we did the original, we were really, it had more of a almost Indian, contemporary Indian music groove going on. And so I had, my challenge here was how do I create that groove without any, without any drums or percussion or loops or anything? And it, it really came around to giving the, the strings this 16th note figures. Nobody, by the way, plays straight 16th notes, but it's sort of a tricky thing where you, if you give half of them two eighth notes, I mean an eighth note and a two sixteenths and the other half two sixteenths and an eighth, you'll create the illusion of, of 16th notes without the players getting exhausted. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, and they sound like a machine. I mean, they, you know, it, it sounds, they have, they have real, this orchestra has really good time. That's for well, sure. that was one of the challenges of, of lining up the right players. They had to be able to play to a click track really accurately, but they also had to be able to groove, <laughs> which, you know, is a, as, as you know, an orchestra doesn't really groove, they, they breathe. So, you know, finding players who were capable of breathing with a groove <laughs> was, was what, one of the challenges of hiring the right people. And then, of course, you know, one of the things that, that, that I learned so much about doing this project was you have, to, you have to write for the players. You can't write for machines, you have to write for what they can do. Yeah, that's... Um... Now, just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, when, did you always know that this project was ultimately going to be done with a real orchestra? No. <laughs> Originally, I did it all with virtual instruments uh, and made very elaborate demos that were really, you know, they were good. But little by little, I realized that this project 
was going to be worth the, the energy and the and the financial um, investment to do it with with a real orchestra. Um, you know, it's amazing how good the virtual instruments emulated for me as a composer and arranger what what was ultimately gonna it was ultimately gonna sound like. But man, I mean, when I came home with with all of the the recordings and we recorded everything. I had many, many takes of every song and, and so it was quite a job just to put it all together. But when I came home it was like, oh my God, it's just it's so alive. <laughs> it just sounded like things were jumping out of the speakers compared to the to the virtual instruments. And now I, I should mention this section. This is just Marianne and me. Just the cello one cello and guitar. Wow, I mean she's she's walking like a bass player. I know. And trust me, she, Marianne's a wonderful player, but she'd be the first one to say she only plays what's written. So that's another example of what I was just referring to. You really have to, um, you really have to think about what the player can do. And if you want it to swing like that, you got to write it like that. There's, they're not going to contribute everything. And I'm so used to players like yourself and all the other great players you and I play with that they contribute so much to what you give them. The, 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 these players contribute, of course, too, but they only play what you give them, basically. So yeah. you have to, it, you know, you have to always be aware of that. You know, or I do anyway. Well, here's, here's Eric's real feature coming up. He took that three against four idea I had in the woodwinds and just ran with it. This is amazing. Now, this is probably 35 seconds of sheer brilliance. I know. <laughs> Is it about that long? I mean, I was amazed. Yeah, I, I haven't timed it, but it sounds about right. That's so great. Wow, what a sound. And with Eric, you know, you mostly hear him play alto and stuff, right? I mean... Right. Well, now we've come to one of the most important pieces on the album for me. So now we've started The Grace of Summer Light, which, which is the first of what I would call the two centerpieces of the album, the other being The Stars, The Snow, The Fire. Now this was another one where how do you make this groove happen? And it's, all, it's almost all pizzicato strings doing that. And that's tricky because pizzicato strings don't speak the same way that... that um, you might want them to speak. They're, they're softer and they're more delicate. Uh, so it's a, a combination of me doubling a lot of different things, using the harp, using the clarinet, using the woodwinds, doubling some of those pits parts uh, to, create, to create this groove. Yeah, well, it's in, I think it's interesting when you have, you know, a true percussive instrument, like a keyboard or a vibraphone, you know, and in, ter and in terms of keyboard, when, when when a keyboard's playing pizzicato parts, you know, it can probably be a little more in time just because it's that much easier to play. Right, right, exactly. And yeah. with all and with all this stuff and 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 um and I mean I you know, we oftentimes when you know, you and I have recorded even 
you know, we've, we've mentioned how <clears throat> to, uh, you know, keep, to keep solid time like that for a length mm-hmm. of time right. can really be, it's physically challenging, you know? you can Exactly, yeah. You can hear that you might be a little out of time, but if you're not, you know, physically, um, you know, on top of your game that day. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we actually recorded that first section. We're now in what I would call the second section. We recorded that separately just so the string players could just focus on that and know that once it was done, they never had to do it again. (laughs) You know what I mean? So they just went to the wall on it, which was what, you know, I think we needed. And then we picked it up from this section. It's worth noting that uh, the amazing drummer Dave Weckl is, is on this, along with John Patitucci playing bass. They sound great together. Yeah, they do. They really do. And they did, Weckl particularly did an amazing job of m- making the orchestra's breathing feel like, like it was even more in the pocket. And that's tricky for a drummer because, you know, he is playing, I mean, his whole thing is playing right locked in to where, to where the time is. Um, and the orchestra is, as you said, excellent at this, especially for, for a symphony orchestra, but they're not like a jazz drummer. And, you know, he managed to be Dave Weckl and, and take care of business and yet totally sound in sync with the orchestra. And, it, and he's like driving it, like he's driving it without being, you know, unnecessarily overpowering. You know, like like he, he, he kind of simmers through through this whole section. The, you know, of course, this breaks down here, and then the nice brass. Another showcase for the brass. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I had fun writing this part, and then I used using the tremolo strings, like right here again. You know, that fluttering kind of thing. It's a subtle effect, but it was a, you know, it went well with the brass. Those trombone players were really great, too. Mary Ann's husband, Dave Perkel, is one of the trombonists. Wow. This, this, you might remember, was an electric guitar solo that I improvised using distortion electric guitar. And I basically transcribed what I soloed with on the original that we did back in 2007 and gave it to the st- all the strings. I remembered this when I heard it because because the original solo was so was so distinct and, 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 and memorable and, and the <laughs> that's a great. Well, I had, I'll tell you, I had to think about it a little bit though because there were places where. I wasn't, and I'm sure you've had this happen to you too on your solos, I wasn't totally sure what I had done or how I did it. And, and I, then I realized um, that I, I had to consider the string players, you know, and how they would look at it. Because you write, you could have one bar that's uncomfortable and you could end up spending 15 minutes trying to get it right with, with the orchestra. So I made little changes, you know. And then right here, this is where, you know, I really feel like um, Weckl and Patitucci just really shine with how they're, you were talking about bubbling under, which I think is a great, um, great way to, 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 
great way to put it into words. And that's what they're really doing here, just kind of, you know, keeping the energy going, but letting the dynamic come down a little before it builds up here. Boy, I remember this part. I remember playing this part live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We did this live with, with uh, Joel Rosenblatt and Tom Kennedy yep. as our rhythm section. Yeah, we did it live a number of times, actually. I can remember some scary times playing this live. <laughs> <laughs> now, this section here, Dave originally did a version of it that was not... It was beautiful, of course, because it's Dave Weckl. He doesn't do anything that's not great. But, but I wanted him to play out more. <clears throat> and that was challenging for him because he really didn't want to step on anything that was going on. But again, he went back and he found a way to just give it this extra energy and all this ideas that he has and totally work with the orchestra. I was really happy he went back and redid this section because he just he just did so great on this. I'm, gives me goosebumps. Well, he, well, it builds, like the whole part really builds. You know, like, like he's subtly filling. Now he gets more active. And not stepping on anything. And then here, man, this, he's, he's so nails things. Like, this is like, what well, Dave was always influenced by Steve Gadd. They, they, he was always influenced by Gadd. This is like kind of Gaddish to me. But now he's going to do his thing. That feels incredible. Here comes the chromatic woodwind line. There's Dave. There you go. Yeah, it was uh, the, that was the very last orchestration that I did for the album. So here's Love Colored Soul. This one has a lot of emphasis on um, Laurie Andrews, who's just a wonderful harpist uh, that I first met in LA. Um, and in fact, uh, one of the podcasts I'm doing for this set of uh, episodes is just me and Laurie talking about what she did on the album. Here's another case of the strings, you know, playing pizzicato and having to carry the groove. But it, it really helped to have Lori double very subtly with their lines. You don't really think about it, but if you muted her, you would go, oh, I see. <laughs> That's what's going on, you know. But this one I was really happy with because of the textures. I just felt like I got a lot of different, um, different textures happening on this one. Boy, I like the muted trumpets. Now, this is, this is probably the first time you're hearing muted trumpet. Well, there was a little bit of it on Grace of Summer Light, but not not really blended. But here he's a soloist. He's really an amazing trumpet player. His name is Chris Gecker, and he's particularly good with muted trumpet. He's a star. You know, I was very lucky to get him. He's played with Sting. He's played with a million people. And he's one of those guys who's a classical musician, but understands jazz. And so he knew how to take these muted parts. And he knew when I said Miles, he knew what that was. And then this is nice. This is a, a young guy named Drew 
Fremder, who's a, a brilliant trumpet player also playing flugelhorn. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now I can hear the, the harp playing with the yes. pizzicato strings. Exactly, right. And then the cello underneath, kind of reinforcing everything. Yeah, yep, that's right. Not just, you know, writing all of this, but then notating it is is a real challenge because, again, everything you're hearing here, these dynamic shifts, they're all written. Uh, and this, I'm not trying to take anything away from the players, but they don't do what you don't ask them to do. Now, was most of the orchestra recorded at the same time, Ken? Oh, all of them, yeah, yeah. So um, it was done basically, in Maryland, right? Isn't it? Yes, it was done in a, a studio called Omega in Rockville, Maryland. Really the only studio with a room big enough, and a, it's a great sounding room, too. Um, and so we recorded the full orchestra over three days. They played to, to click track in their headphones as well as demo guitar, demo drums, demo bass, demo harp. Uh, demo percussion. Um, I stayed in the booth because I was, you know, basically uh, watching the scores, telling Jonathan, my conductor, you know, any input that he needed to have and back and forth between him and me. We had a mic that only, you know, he and I could talk to each other privately. <laughs> now, now the orchestra, the players were primarily from the Baltimore, D.C. area, right? All, all of them, yes. Wow, what an amazing orchestra. I mean, it's, you know, because I wasn't sure when you were working on this, you know, I wasn't sure if you were going to L.A. and using an L.A. orchestra. Or... Right, right. I thought about it. It was just, you know, it just, there were so many complications to doing it that we even thought about going overseas because you can do much better price-wise. But this was a hand-picked orchestra. Everybody had played together before in different you know configurations but they were hand-picked and especially for this music um you know so and a lot of them came from military bands and orchestras which we have the best some of the best players in the world here because of the military bands being here so here is the other centerpiece of the album to me it's called the stars the snow the fire This one features another of what I consider the top five drummers in the world, Chad Wackerman. Yep, Chad Wackerman from Frank Zappa. Just grooves away, 
you know, and makes everything sound solid, even though the reality is he's bending and, you know, to make sure that everything sounds right with the orchestra. That's a pretty sensitive part. I think, you know, I'd go out on a limb, and this this is beautiful right here, the pizzicatos. Yeah, this is just John, Patitucci, me, and Lori on harp. Yeah, Chad had a, had a groove on this that just, really nice. Um, and again, just splitting that difference of, of playing the way he plays. And also with Chad, I, I had to say, I want more Chad. I want more Chad Wackerman. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> it's, know, he and, was, and, and, and he, one thing about Chad Wackerman, I mean, besides, you know, playing with, with Frank Zappa and Alan Holdsworth, I think he also works with Barbara Streisand. Right, but by the way, the stuff he did with Zappa was all, well not all, but a lot of it was his orchestral stuff. So he was quite familiar with playing with an orchestra this way. Wow, I didn't, yeah. You know, the fact that he can do all the, all the different things he does makes him really adaptable, <laughs> especially on this part that's... Yep. Yeah, the other side of the coin with playing with Zappa with strings he did a lot of work with James Taylor with an orchestra too. So oh, he'd wow. been on both yeah. ends of the spectrum and playing with orchestras. So he was very um, uniquely qualified. Now he just does so many wonderful things here. But Now this was tricky, Jay, trying to get an orchestra to swing. <laughs> well, they're this swinging took, this, now. This section took a little while. Yeah, they are. It took a little while. They had to find it. Um, well, Patitucci certainly helps him swing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Chad and, and Patitucci really glue it together. Um, and I was using not only pit strings there, but a technique where, this, where the players turn the bow on its back and they hit the strings with the wood of the bow. Um, it's, it's something you got to listen for, but in the first part of that uh, section where the swing begins, uh, half of the, the strings are doing that technique. It's called colegno. It's an Italian musical phrase. Wow. Now, it's Lori's harp here, you'll be happy to know, was based on your piano comping. <laughs> In fact, there were some voicings you did that I loved so much, I put them down exactly the same. Wow, thanks. <laughs> Lori had to say, uh, Ken, I can play this, but most classical harpists will not be able to play. Can I take this note away from this chord and that note away from that chord? And I had to reluctantly say yes.
Once again, here's another virtuoso string part. And that was He's another guitar solo transcription, right? Exactly, right. Yep, I remember that. I remember that solo. They just, they played this every time like that. You know, when we played it, when we first did this, I remember kind of thinking, like, like Dreg's Deep Purple or something. No, right, right. <laughs> there is that element to it. It's true. Those wonderful glissandos that harpists are known for. With the gong, and now is that a gong? Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. That's one of my virtual instruments. Um, I used a lot of virtual percussion uh, because with with work and effort and, and a really great library, yeah, uh, I, I could make it sound a hundred percent real. But it take it, it takes work, especially the timpani, but. Um, Sampling and virtual instruments have come so far that if you as a composer or an orchestrator know how those instruments are played and will take the time, you can emulate them 100%, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I mean, you know, there is something about real players, you know, playing it in the room with the orchestra, but, you know, there, this was a very expensive project and I, there were some places where I had to be realistic with what was really going to matter. Uh, and to me, all those strings and all those woodwinds and all those horns and brass were what really mattered. That's the stars, the snow, the fire. And this one is called Juliet. played with so much feeling and emotion and heart and it really comes through on Juliet for me. You know, it's it's amazing real people stretching, reaching, working together. It it somehow gets translated into the music. I'm not sure how, but it does. Now this is Juliet. That's that's yeah. This now. is Juliet, um, which I had a big radio hit with a few years ago. Yeah, I remember that. A, a wonderful tribute to your to my first grandchild. Now, I really want to give kudos to the bassists on this one because they're really holding down the groove, and the yeah. the, the bass players we used were especially handpicked. Because these are guys that totally can do an orchestral gig, but they're jazz guys too. And so when they had to play a pocket like this, they're driving the whole orchestra, you know? Um, when they had to do something like this, they just knew how to do that. And to, to 
kind of act like Patatucci and Weckl and Chad Wackerman were doing on the songs they were on, because I didn't really want to hear full-out drums on this until near the end of it. This is a nice groove here. I mean, it's almost, it's almost creating a more bossa nova-ish thing, which is nice. Yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a gentleness to it. It's kind of cool, I think, when a string section can act as so many different things. I mean, when it can be percussive and provide, you know, provide the actual groove as well, as well as harmonic backing as well. Now, the strings are probably one of the most versatile tools that you have when you're orchestrating because they are, you know, they, they are able to dynamically be extremely broad and then you've got everything from pizzicato to like I was talking about colegno where you're hitting the bow with the back of it to, to tremolo where they're you know going very fast over and over on a note. So we had 22 string players in the wow. orchestra. And as soon as, once we had our finished takes for everything, we went back and recorded just the 22 strings again, doubling their parts, so that we had, in essence, 44 strings. Oh, wow. Uh, which that... doesn't make things louder, it just makes things warmer and bigger and fuller. I don't know how to explain it. It's not a volume thing, it's a quality thing. No, that makes total sense. And so the last song on the album is Fortunate Son. Fortunate Son, oh yeah. It's just for strings and guitar just strings it was the last thing we recorded this is almost i mean this is like a this is a an absolutely beautiful prelude i think to the whole song i rewrote that numerous times it was i re actually rewrote it three weeks before the sessions because it wasn't special enough i just wanted it to be unquestionably great or as yeah. great as i could do it and so yeah. i just kept doing it until i until i got it you know For this song, like all the others, I was in the control room and my wife Kristen was in there with me and she had gone out into the room. She came back and she said, Ken, you have to go in the room and just listen to what this sounds like in the room. 
And so when they took a break between takes, I went and sat myself in the back. And it was just unbelievable how great it sounded. And I'm not ashamed to say it brought tears to my eyes. And not because I thought how great I was, but just it was like the music wasn't even me. It was just this wonderful thing in the room with all this wood and strings. And ah, man, and I'm so glad that I went out there and listened to it because that is what I tried to do when I mixed it. Yeah, I tried to make sure I captured that same quality that I experienced in the room. So I didn't use very much reverb. It's very much the way it sounded. Yeah, wow. This next section coming up was a bit of a challenge because it's kind of country fiddle-ish. They, they nailed it. I was at one point thinking I might need some ringers, you know, guys that that's what they did, country fiddle. But these guys, they knew what to do. They were extremely uh, flexible stylistically. And this is cool right here. It's country-ish. This is country-ish. Another question, Ken, and this came to my mind only because I knew this particular record, but um, I don't know if you remember the Pat Denizio, Buddy Holly record, you know, that Charlie Colello, who I know oh, sure. you've listened to a lot, you know, oh, yeah. on the yep. more Nero records. <laughs> That's right. Some of, this, some of this writing just happened to remind me a little bit of, of, of that, you know, the, the kind of string writing, you know, Charlie did. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a wonderful arranger. I love what he did with Laura Nero's music. Some of those ideas are just sound and textures because um, I love love them so much. You know, are they, they 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 get in our subconscious and then they blend in in a stew that's uniquely our own. Yeah, and that's really what it's all about for me. That was beautiful. I mean, that I think I think throwing that change in there and the way it was orchestrated, you know, just gave that much more emotional impact. Thanks, Jay. Well, as you can imagine, you know, it's you you try. I mean, I wrote many things many different ways, 
Um, it was all, you know, part of arriving at that place where you knew you had the best thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's tricky, but in my case, um, I've kind of learned to trust that hair on the back of your neck thing, that when that happens, you know, you kind of go, well, whether or not anybody else gets this, I really get it. And that's always the best thing you can go with because you got to believe in it yourself, you know? Absolutely. When I came up with those chord substitutions, it just did that for me. And I said, well, I know that's not how the song originally went, but, you know, it's just it's just right for this situation. And uh, and this this um, this musical act adaptation of the song, so um, you know, so I went with it, and it's kind of was my mantra for the whole album uh, over the two years that I I did it. You know, just kept following that that guideline. If it if it makes if it works for me, then I gotta trust it'll work for other people. And and um, you know. So, uh, so anyway, well, well, that's it, Jay. We made it all the way through. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, you know, just I, I think this is really, uh, you know, another culmination of sorts, you know, in your whole musical journey. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. Once again, I mean, this is, you know, I know this. I'll be listening to this to this record for for the rest of my life for sure <laughs> oh, jay thank you 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 make me feel very humble that that's just nice to hear you know you it's i hold your opinion and your musicality in in very high regard so you know if if, if i'm gonna let anybody influence how i feel about it it's gonna be somebody like you well uh, otherwise you know what i mean it's you know yeah. it, it doesn't we, we do want we do want the approval of the people that we really uh, hold in high regard. And so, uh, you know, I, I do appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Jay. This was great. My pleasure, man. You know, but doing this today with you was fun and I knew it would be. Uh, and, uh, you know, so thank you again for doing it, Jay. My pleasure, Ken. My pleasure. And that's it, everybody. That was my conversation with Jay Rowe while we listened all the way through to my brand new album in its entirety, Music for Guitar and Orchestra. So Music for Guitar and Orchestra will be available everywhere September 21st, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, all the digital outlets, as well as retail outlets throughout the country as well. And you can get a signed copy exclusively at my website, www.kennavarro.com. So please pay me a visit. And you can also purchase all of the scores as well as the scores and the individual parts for all of the songs on Music for Guitar and Orchestra, exactly the way I and the orchestra perform them on the recording. Those are all available at my website too, so please check them out. And I've got three, probably four more podcast episodes I'm going to be posting, one a week in the next few weeks. Uh, These are all conversations I had with different people who were involved in the creation of this album. And I'm really looking forward to sharing those with you, too. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but a lot of insights into the music. And I think for those of you who already own it, you'll really enjoy hearing how this album was created. And for those of you who don't, I'm hoping that you'll say, i got to have a copy of this for myself to hear this album, which I, I personally think is a unique record and a breakthrough record in both the jazz and the classical world. And I really hope people will support what I'm doing and this music All right, everybody, thanks again for joining me. Till the next time, as my grandmother used to say, be good.